0: Well, let's do this, brothers and sisters. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and take it, and let's turn together to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you see it on the screen there. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. One thing I want to let you know is that if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the back of the room on a table back there that we would be happy not only to let you borrow, but please feel free to keep that. Uh, Consider that a gift from us to you. And if you take one of those Bibles, it's a paperback Bible, turn to page 479, that'll put you on track uh, with where you'll need to be uh, for our time this morning. All right? So we're going to be covering a a little bit, a good chunk of ground this morning, but there's one really main important idea that's being communicated here in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. So let's go ahead and do this uh, as we do every Sunday as a church family. Let's stand together as we hear God's word read, to honor his word. So this is the word of God, starting in Matthew 15, verse one, down through verse 20. And what a privilege is ours that we get to read it, hear it, and have it shape our lives together. The Bible says this, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands When they eat, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, You have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you not, or do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Does not defile anyone. Let's pray together as we approach God's Word. God, we ask you for your help as we approach your Word this morning. God, we need you to teach us and to give us insight to the truth of your Scripture. And God, we want to say that we are so very thankful for the Bible. We are thankful that the Bible is true, the Bible is trustworthy. the Bible is such a wonderful treasure to us. Father, we pray that in this time you would be glorified. Jesus, we pray that in this time you would be exalted. Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide us. Give us insight and help us to see what it is that is true and right in these verses. God, we pray that you would shape us with your word and make us a people who are happy to place ourselves under its authority. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat. Thank you. All right, as we make our way through these verses, there is one big main idea that I believe is being communicated in these verses. And that big main idea is this. Jesus knows that the real battle is for the heart. Jesus knows that the real battle is for the heart. And hey, just on a, on a side note, we love the sound of crying babies. We do, we do. That's the sound of life. That's the sound of God's blessing. Um, I've preached over and through and around crying baby before. Don't mind doing it again. Uh, so that doesn't bother us one bit because other choices could have been made when pregnancy comes along. But a choice of life was made, and we praise the Lord for that. We love babies. We love family. And so we don't mind that sound of of crying babies. Crying adults, we could do without, okay? So don't do that. Don't do that, all right? But crying babies, we can live with all day long, all right? So the main idea, Jesus knows the the battle, the real battle, is the battle for the heart, okay? Because what we're going to see happen in in Matthew chapter 15 is we're going to see this conflict continue to build. And we've been watching it build all the way through the gospel of Matthew as we've gone from chapter one all the way to here. Because here's what's amazing about what we're seeing take place. Matthew is one of four men who records the life, the comings and the goings of Jesus, right? His life and his death and his resurrection. And as Jesus goes around, one of the things that he does is he teaches. Not only does he teach, he heals. We see miracles come at his hand, but not only do we see miracles, we see that in everything he says, he is revealing the truth about who God is and about how it looks to live as a citizen in God's kingdom. And one of the things that's going to happen is Jesus is going to find himself over and over running into conflict with uh, some particular groups of people. And among those are the religious leaders, groups like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, And these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these scribes, these are men who have devoted their lives to studying God's law, particularly what we read in the Old Testament. And even more particularly, what we see toward the back end of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and even parts of Deuteronomy. God's commands, God's rules, God's law was a huge issue for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the time. And so any assault on God's commands was considered a reason to have conflict. But there are times when Jesus is going to make it very clear that what the religious leaders have done is they have you ever heard the phrase miss the forest for the trees? right? Or there are times where they've just missed the point in the first place. And so there's going to be a battle over an issue of washing hands. But what Jesus is going to make very clear is that the real issue is much, much deeper than that. Because the real battle that Jesus is concerned about is the battle for the heart. That's the real battle that's going on. So let's talk a little bit about the the conflict, All right, so we see Matthew tells us in verse one that Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they're going to have a conversation with him. Now, there's something interesting that we see here. They have come from Jerusalem to Galilee. They have made a trek and it seems the way Matthew tells this story that they came on purpose. And when these religious leaders would make their way into Galilee, it would be known, oh, the guys from Jerusalem have come. The guys from the capital city have come. The experts have come. And they've got one goal in mind. They want to confront Jesus about something they have noticed his disciples doing. And what they have noticed his disciples doing is bothering them. They've got to deal with this. So the issue at hand is the fact that Jesus' disciples do not wash their hands before they eat. Now, for many of us, our parents probably told us as we're growing up, hey, before you eat, you need to make sure and, and wash your hands, right? In fact, that's, that's a constant refrain in our house. Any of you got boys in your home? That's something you got to keep constantly revisiting in your house. Wash those hands. Wash those hands. Wash those hands. We grab hands before we, we, before we eat and we pray. And I can tell as soon as I grab that hand whether or not that, that, that very simple task has been taken care of, right? But for the religious leaders, it was much more than a being clean kind of thing. There was something bigger for them going on. The the bigger thing is that they're going to use this to accuse Jesus' disciples of breaking what they call the tradition of the elders. Look at what they say in verse two. It says, they ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. All right, so the conflict is that they look at what's happening with the disciples not washing their hands before they eat. And they say, hey, you are breaking the tradition of the elders. Now what we wanna make sure we do for a couple of minutes here is take some time to talk about what is this tradition of the elders? Why is this so very important? All right, because the issue, the conflict is the fact that they break the tradition of the elders. They are breaking it. What, what these guys are accusing Jesus's disciples of doing and really kind of by virtue of connection, accusing Jesus of as well is breaking the tradition of the elders. They are sidestepping it. They are going around it. They are completely ignoring the history that has come before them, right? And so what is it that they're breaking? They are breaking the tradition of the elders. Now, what is that? Well, in order to understand what the tradition of the elders is, we need to make sure that we understand something very Very important. If we don't understand this, we really won't understand the nature and the foundation of the conflict that we see here between Jesus and these religious leaders. So what we need to understand is that the Jewish people believed that the law, God's commands for worship and living that are found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the law, the Jewish people believed that this was God's greatest gift given to humanity. The law was God's greatest gift given to humanity. And so the Jewish people devoted themselves to the study of the law. They devoted themselves to learning the law and to applying the law. And so when we talk about the tradition of the elders, we wanna make sure that we keep this in mind, the way they viewed and understood the law. Okay, you guys with me so far on that? Amen? All right. So the law was huge and important. Now, the tradition of the elders was one of their ways of understanding and applying God's law. Why? Because they wanted to understand how it was properly interpreted, if you will, and applied. Now, here's the thing. There are places in the law where there could be some confusion and even some differences in interpretation, right? So as you read the commands at the end of Exodus through the book of Leviticus and parts of Deuteronomy, there could be some confusion, some misunderstanding, and even some differences in how we understand and apply those, and so one of the things that, that came about because of that is there was a tradition that came about because people had gone before them for years and years, decades and decades, centuries and centuries, and they had studied God's commands. They had studied God's laws. And as they did, this tradition kind of formed around the laws so that if there was ever a question about how we interpret something or how we understand something, one of the places they could go is they could say, hey, there's been a lot of insightful and wise people who have come before us and they studied these things. So let's go back to the tradition of the elders. You guys with me so far on this? So the tradition of the elders was very, very important. Now, the tradition of the elders had been handed down for years. It was built on many years of interpreting the law. So long before Jesus came to earth, the tradition of the elders was in place, and there were many who had devoted themselves to this. And what they learned was passed down so that others could understand. So long before Jesus comes on the scene, this tradition of the elders is in place. And if somebody's going to come along and do something different than what the tradition of the elders says to do, well, he better have good reason to do it because if he doesn't, he's going to cause a conflict. And in fact, even if he does, he's going to cause a conflict. The tradition of the elders was held in high honor. The tradition was a really important thing and it was considered in many ways a protection for the law. It was believed that if you followed the tradition of the elders, then you would not come anywhere near breaking God's commands. That's one of the reasons that the tradition was in place. The tradition of the elders contained rules of religious living, which over the course of centuries had come to hold in many people's eyes an equal honor and validity to the law. How do we understand this command from Exodus? Well, the tradition of the elders helps us understand. How do we understand this statement from Leviticus? Well, the tradition of the elders helps us to understand. How do we understand this statement from Deuteronomy? The tradition of the elders helps us to understand. The tradition of the elders was connected to the way that they viewed God. Now, this whole issue of washing hands for the Jewish people was, again, not just about being clean. Though there's some value in that, that was not the primary reason that they focused on this. What this was is that it was about not being defiled. This issue of washing hands was about something bigger. It was about the way they viewed God. and about the way they understood how they relate to Him. And so this whole thing with washing hands was about purity and about defilement. For them, washing hands was about holiness and being set apart to God. And so they drilled on this thing, focused on this thing to such a degree that it came to a point that if a Jewish person bought food at the market, went home and prepared it and did not wash his hands or her hands, then what it meant is that they were unclean. They were impure. They were defiled. If a Jewish person sat down for a meal and did not wash his hands or her hands, what this meant is that they were impure, they were unclean, they were defiled. And this was all connected to their view of God. The tradition of the elders had come to take such an important place in the life of the people that for it to be broken caused a significant conflict. Let's not make the mistake of saying that the religious leaders hadn't done their homework. They had. They'd done their homework. They'd read through Exodus. They'd read through Leviticus. They'd read through Deuteronomy. But the problem is that they missed the whole point of this in the first place. The religious leaders make an error because they missed the whole point of why the law is given in the first place. And they're going to focus so much on the outside, cleaning out the outside, making the outside look right, making the outside look good. Just make sure you follow the rules on the outside. Just make sure you look the part. Make sure everything on the outside conforms that they forget that what this is all about in the first place is the heart. They miss it. And this is the error of the religious leaders. And look at how Jesus responds to this. I love the way he responds to this. In verse three, the the Pharisees describes, they have just said, your disciples break the tradition of the elders. They do not wash their hands when they eat. Look at what Jesus says in verse three. He says, he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they have accused Jesus of breaking the tradition. Jesus has accused them of breaking the commandment the explicitly laid out commandment of God that he puts in his word, Jesus says, you guys have broken this for the sake of your tradition. In verse four, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, God makes it very clear that one of the responsibilities that children have is to honor their father and their mother. And one of the most significant ways in the life of the family that a child would honor his father or his mother is by taking care of his parents' needs. Especially as their parents reach an age where they're not as able to take care of their needs as they once were. I've warned my kids many times, the day is coming right? When I move in, and I've been keeping a list of all the things that I'm going to do when they've got to deal with me one day, right? Because I'm going to equal this thing out, right? There will be diapers to be changed. That's right. That's going to happen, okay? All right. So it was written in God's commands, you honor your father and your mother. And one of the most important ways they did that was by taking care of their parents' needs as they got older. But some of the religious leaders found a way to sidestep that in the name of serving God. And they would devote their money to the temple, to the service of the Lord. And they would almost kind of make an agreement and and what they could have used to serve their family. Instead, they would devote to the life of the temple. And once it was given, it was spoken for. And in many instances, it could not be gotten back but they could at some time go and maybe make a withdrawal of that for themselves and their own needs. So where they could have made sure they took care of their families, instead they could say, well, I'm going to dedicate this money to the Lord. I'm gonna dedicate this money to the service of God. I'm gonna dedicate this money to the temple instead. And so Jesus says, how is it that you're going to accuse me and my disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders when you guys don't even uphold the very explicit command of God? in the name of your tradition of sidestepping your responsibility to care for your family, you're going to devote this to the temple, devote this money to the Lord. You have completely missed God's command that he has laid out specifically for you. The error the religious leaders make is that they are more concerned with the outside and they pay very little attention to obeying God from the heart. And brothers and sisters, what God is after from us is our hearts. He's after our hearts. He's after an obedience, a worship, a service that comes from the heart. But they were focused on the outside. And Jesus points out their error, points out their hypocrisy. He says, you're pledging your money to God rather than using it to help your family. Jesus even calls them hypocrites. Look at what he says in verse seven. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. Brothers and sisters, let that never be said of us. May that never be said of us. Oh, they love to talk about me. They love to honor me with their lips. Yet their heart is far from me. They love to sing their songs. They love to write their sermons. They love to read their Bible studies. They love to talk about their devotions. They love to talk a good game. Yet their heart is far from me. Jesus says, that's the problem with you guys. All you're concerned about, your primary focus is on how it looks on the outside, yet your heart is far from the Lord. Jesus is after the heart. The error that the religious leaders make is one that many of us can make because they believed what is most important is how things look on the outside. As long as you give the appearance of being holy, as long as it looks like you're obedient to God, then everything is fine. But what's amazing about Jesus is he will not settle for that. This does not satisfy Jesus. Jesus is going to consistently and constantly go for the heart. This is what drove them crazy. And this is one of the things that ultimately drove them to a point of saying, we have to get rid of this guy because Jesus knew that everything that was written in the Old Testament from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Malachi, while there are tons of commands, tons of rules, tons of things to do and tons of things not to do, all of them are ultimately built on the reality that God is after the heart. He's after the heart, a new heart, a heart that has been made alive, a heart that worships God with a willingness because of who God is and because of how God has moved in that person's life. In verse 11, Jesus makes a strong statement. Starting in verse 10, he says, he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. This is going to enrage the religious leaders. They will not like this at all. Jesus has the audacity to come along and say, It's not about washing hands. It's not about the food you eat. It's not about this stuff on the outside. It's not about trying to make yourself obey the rules that much harder and hope that that's going to justify you before God. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. So look at what his disciples ask him in verse 12. I love this. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended? when they heard this saying, and Jesus says, oh, I guess they were. Well, I guess I should probably stop talking. Let's go, guys. Let's go to another town. It's kind of scary here. Let's make sure we don't have any more conflicts with these guys, right? Is that what he says? No, no. Notice the grace and love, but the boldness and courage of Jesus, right? Jesus is not afraid in the midst of this. In verse 13, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Brothers and sisters, don't miss that. This this is Jesus saying, look, if God is not in them, if God is not working with them, doesn't matter anyway. Don't sweat it. Let them be mad. In fact, that's what he says in verse 14. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus has some strong words in response to his disciples saying, hey, you just made these guys mad. And Jesus, in his way, basically says, okay, so I did. They're blind guides anyway. If God has not planted them, then they're going to be rooted up anyway. If God has not planted them, then, then ultimately they're not going to be a part of this thing that the Lord is doing. So they are blind guides, and if anybody fall, follows them, they're going to fall into a pit anyway. Jesus has come to reveal the truth. Jesus has come to reveal what God's kingdom is ultimately about. And one of the ways that Jesus does it is by constantly challenging these errors and these misunderstandings and these confusions that so many people have about what it means to follow God where they followed so much with the outside, Jesus says it's about the heart. The heart is the real battlefield. So look at what Peter says. Love, love, love Peter. Verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Verse 17, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. On a very important side note, make no mistake. The way you speak, the way you talk, the words you use, how you use them, the way you use them, that is a direct reflection of what's happening in your heart. Direct. What comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles the heart. Why? Because there's a connection there. There's a connection there. So Jesus is focusing on the truth of the heart. Now, when Jesus talks about the heart, he's not just talking about the organ inside of our ribcage that pumps blood. We, we, we know this. Jesus is talking about the whole person. He's talking about the core of the person. So when we talk about impurity, we talk about holiness, we talk about defilement, all these kinds of things of the heart, we're talking about the core of who we are, our identity as who we are. So Jesus says where the real battlefield is, is the heart, it's what makes us tick. And what Jesus says is that what defiles a person is not food. What defiles a person is not whether or not you wash your hands. What defiles a person is sin. Sin is what defiles a person. He says in verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. Verse 19, Jesus gets very explicit, goes literally right for the heart. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. To defile is to make something unclean. And the Jewish people were very concerned with the truths and the notions of God's holiness and their purity before God. And they wanted to make sure that they lived in a way that was in line with holiness and purity. And they wanted to be sure that they would deal with anything. They would address anything that they thought would make them impure and unholy. And this is a noble aim. But the problem is is that their religious leaders had led them down a road of saying, you need to focus on rituals and rules and washings. Watch what you eat. Make sure you wash your hands before you eat. This is how we make sure that we are pure as people. And Jesus says, that's not it at all. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And so Jesus shows us that there is something that makes us unholy and impure, but it does not have anything to do with obeying religious rules in order to make ourselves look holy on the outside. What makes us defiled is sin, and sin comes from the heart. The Pharisees and the scribes thought they really knew the law. The Pharisees and scribes thought they were being strong and applying the law, but what Jesus does is he helps them to see, and he helps us to see, they didn't really understand the law at all they did not understand the law in the first place. And they were actually pretty weak at applying the law because if they had really known the law and they had really known God who gave it, they would know that God is after the heart. If they had really known the law, they would understand that no matter how hard they try to obey God on the outside, if we don't aim for the heart, then it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The law, God's commands, They help us to see how holy and great he is. And the religious leaders got that. They did. They understood that. But the law, God's commands, they also help us to see how sinful and broken we are. And this so many times is where the religious leaders miss because their focus on the outside took them away from focusing on the heart. Guys, let me close this with this. Jesus says in verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. (laughs) Another way to put it is, we don't ever fall into these things. We do not ever come upon these things by accident. Before they come to the hands, before they come to the eyes, before they come to our body parts, they start in the heart. And one of the things that Jesus says here in these verses, one of the things that Jesus helps us to see so very clearly is that the real battlefield is for the heart. And one of the things this reminds us of, one of the things this calls us to is to realize that we need a new heart. We need a new heart because our defilement, our impurity, our darkness and brokenness runs all the way into the heart. It's not just an outside issue for me. It's not just an outside issue for you. But our impurity runs all the way to the heart. And if that's where we stopped, then what a sad day this would be. But we don't stop there because there's good news. There's good news. For anyone who comes to Jesus, he gives a new heart. And this new heart means a new life, a new person, And here's what's amazing, when Jesus gives us a new heart, when we come to him by faith, that this new heart begins to take over every part of our lives. And where at one point in time, the idea of obeying God and following his commands is something that we did not want to have any part of. Or the idea of obeying God and his commands, we thought was our only hope of justifying ourselves before him. And we found that both of those were a dead end street. When we come to Jesus, he gives us a new heart. This new heart begins to take over every part of our lives. And then we become, slowly but surely, sometimes agonizingly painfully, with a lot of ups and downs, but we become a people who are happy to obey God's commands. We become a people who cherish God's commands and we want to obey his commands from the heart, from the new heart that Jesus gives us. So if you are here this morning and you have been trying to do it on the outside, let me do everything I can to set you free and say it is never going to be enough. There is an impurity and a defilement in you that runs all the way to your heart And you do not need to double down and try harder to obey God's commands. But what you need is you need a new heart. And only Jesus can give that to you. But here's the thing, he loves to give people new hearts. And he's so good at it. So if you'll turn from your sin and you'll come to Jesus and say, you are the Savior and you're my Savior. He'll save you from your sins and he'll give you a new heart. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus. Let these words shape you. Let these words be a sharp reminder that while we do have a new heart in Christ, we are still filled with this indwelling sin. And there's so much darkness, so much impurity that continues to be rooted out. Let's let the word of God shape us as we follow him faithfully.